Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode five of the Let's Go Show. It's your boy, Matt Soups Ramos, and this is the show where we talk about everything going on in the world of entertainment and pop culture. We got an exciting show today, diving into the world of horror, talking about some rom-coms, and of course, we're going to be breaking down that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania trailer that we got this week. Today, I am joined once again by my boy, Editor Geo. Editor Geo, whoa, whoa. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Guys, today, the first thing we're going to be talking about, actually, before we dive into our main topics, I want to remind all of you guys listening and tuning in that our episodes will drop every Saturday morning. So again, that's every Saturday morning. You guys can check it out on iTunes, Spotify, and a video version over there on YouTube as well. And then we also have our also social media platforms on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Let's Go Soups, where we're going to be posting clips from our episodes over there on social media. So make sure to follow us all across social media, leave a review over here on Spotify and iTunes, and let's get popping, man. Let's get it popping. So our first main topic today, we are going to be talking about the first trailer for one of the most anticipated horror movies of the year, Bo is Afraid. Bo is Afraid is directed by Ari Oster, who directed Hereditary and Midsummer, and Bo is Afraid stars Joaquin Phoenix. So if you're a fan of Hereditary and Midsummer personally me i i love those movies and those like walking out of hereditary in midsummer dude i was scarred bro i was so scared because these are these are the type of horror movies that could actually be real you know what i'm saying like the the i guess the central villain of these horror movies is like cults and and what cults is, are what real is, dude what is exactly those two movies cuz i never seen them before i never even heard about them before yeah honestly i can't really describe them you just have to watch them because like yeah, yeah. I mean, with Bo's Afraid, like uh, we have the synopsis here. So Bo, the way A24 is describing Bo's Afraid is they say, Joaquin Phoenix stars in the film as a successful entrepreneur, and the narrative is set to follow the character across multiple decades. Now, the synopsis for the film reads, a paranoid man embarks on an epic odyssey to get home to his mother in this bold and ingeniously depraved new film from writer-director Ari Oster. So... Even with those synopsis and those details, you still don't really know what this movie is about. With the new trailer for Bo's Afraid, it looks so out there. It looks so wacky. But this is what Ari Oster does. And that, that's what I love about horror movies is that usually when it comes to horror movies, like there's some horror movies like in 2022, like for a film like called Barbarian. Barbarian was such a great sleeper horror film that kind of like no one really had on their radar until it came out and then had such a good word of mouth. Barbarian was a film that I went into not really knowing much about it. You know, I had checked out the trailer, but the trailer doesn't tell you anything. I feel like Bo's Afraid is another case of that where the trailer doesn't really tell you much. That's kind of like how the menu was too. The menu didn't even really say what it is. A lot of people at the film festival didn't even want to see it because they thought it was like, they didn't know if it was like a movie about cannibalism or if it was a movie like Burnt with Bradley Cooper. Like they didn't know what it was. So a lot of people just stayed away from it. But I watched it last night and that movie was insane. So if it's anything like that where they hide the plot details because it's something that you just have to experience, then we're, we're in for a run. Yeah, I mean, when I watched the trailer, like obviously I'm going to go watch this movie regardless. I'm super excited for it. It's one of my more anticipated horror movies of the year. Um, but I was watching this trailer and you can't really make sense of anything that's going on. You're kind of just watching crazy things happen as Joaquin Phoenix is going through this like just crazy journey. 
So yeah, Bo's Afraid. Let us know in the let us know all, all across social media, guys. What did you guys think of the first trailer for Bo's Afraid? Um, this is definitely gonna be a movie that I'm gonna be checking out. We're gonna be talking about more here on the podcast as you know we prep for the film's release. And now moving on to our second topic, which is something I never thought I would be talking about. There's 104 days of summer vacation. School comes along just to end it. So but our annual problem for our generation is finding a good way to spend it. That's right. Phineas and Ferb are back. It's just been reported that Disney Plus has ordered two seasons of Phineas and Ferb. I believe it's going to be 40 episodes that are going to be coming to Disney Plus. So... Wow, what a what a blast to the past. You know, Phineas and Ferb was one of the best cartoons on Disney Channel. Um, and and I never thought I'd be talking about the return of Phineas and Ferb. Geo thoughts? Uh man, I, I missed a lot of Phineas and Ferb. Like when Phineas and Ferb came out, I was on the cusp where I wanted to be a man, but I was still a kid, so I was in that weird <laughs> stage. I, I watched the first couple of seasons with like when it was OG, and I thought the show was sick because it was something so different. It's about kids that just like do whatever they want and they get away with everything. And I thought it was sick. So then after a couple of years, like just recently, I think I seen it on TikTok and it made me watch the the last episodes of like when they grow older and like they're all going off to college, bro. Did you ever see that episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm not really sure if this is just a reboot or they're just like they didn't grow up anymore. So I'm really curious to see what they're going to do. Like are Phineas and Ferb going to be adults now? They got kids and now their kids are going crazy. Like that would be cool. I don't know what it is, but I'm excited to see it. Yeah, honestly, I, I imagine that it's probably just going to be kind of like set as like an anthology series. Like it'll, it's just going to be set during Phineas and Ferb's childhood. It's not going to like, again, the actual show kind of addressed like where they go, you know, them growing up. But I think this is just going to be like 40 episodes of them, you know, doing their thing, going on their adventures. And yeah, you know, Perry the Platypus is back. Dr. Doofenshmirtz is back. Like, this is insane. How is Phineas and Ferb back? You know, Disney Plus, when it comes to the original Disney Plus content, there has been so much that's come from Marvel, Star Wars. But this is like original Disney Plus content that I am going to be tuning in for. So super excited that Phineas and Ferb is coming back. Never thought I'll be talking about that. And now let's move on to topic number three, diving into the world of Marvel. We're going to be talking about Adam Driver because apparently rumors have it that Adam Driver, who most of you might know as Kylo Ren, Adam Driver is reportedly Marvel's top choice for Reed Richards. This is pretty crazy. What? That's cr I don't know about that, man. He's got like that deep voice. Hi, I'm Reed Richards. You know what I mean? I I'm just going to be thinking about Kylo Ren every time he's talking. He's a great actor, though. Like, I loved him in the mar marriage story. He showed that he can do more than just Kylo Ren in the marriage story and other projects, too. But as Reed Richards, I don't know. I'm just thinking about him with the long, long hair. I'll tell you what. I I'm going to Google and see if anybody made some fan art. That way I can really understand or really see, like, what he's going to look like in that suit. Look, Adam Driver can play Reed Richards. I'm going to say that right now. Adam Driver is one of the best actors working in Hollywood today. And if he were cast as Reed Richards... I would not be mad at that casting. Now, mind you, I don't have Adam Driver as like my, I don't have him as one of my top picks for to, to play Reed. But if Adam Driver were cast as Reed, you know, I, I'd, I'd co-sign that in a second because Adam Driver has proven himself with so many different projects. I mean, he's also been already a part of the Disney family having played Kylo Ren. You know, Disney, of course, owns Star Wars and Marvel. So with Adam Driver already having proved to be, you know, a franchise actor as a man who could lead a franchise, um, 
I, I don't think it's far-fetched to potentially see him as Reed Richards. Um, again, he's not one of my top picks, but I wouldn't be mad at him being cast as Reed. And we also got to remember that Marvel's top choice to play a character isn't always necessarily the actor that ends up playing the character. Marvel's top choice to play Iron Man was Robert, uh, not Robert Downey Jr. It was Tom Cruise. Yeah, so Marvel's top choice to play Iron Man was uh, Tom Cruise and RDJ ended up getting the role. So when it comes down to, you know, actors playing certain characters, literally anything can happen. We know Marvel is currently casting the Fantastic Four. So maybe we hear next week, two weeks, a month, two months. Maybe Marvel keeps it a secret all the way until San Diego Comic-Con, but we are getting our fantastic forecasting this year. And, you know, last year there was so much speculation with Comic-Con, with D23, that we were going to get the fantastic forecast. But now it seems like we are closer to that than ever. I'm kind of biased about it because I really love the John Kravinsky, or I, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. I might have butchered it. And they kind of just used him for like a run gag in a way. Like, uh, you know, the fans wanted it, so here it goes, but we're just going to kill him off. But you know what Marvel is. They might bring him back. They might not. I think we need to see a little more of him as Reed Richards. I don't think it's fair. Like, it was a tease. Mm -hmm. But Adam Driver, obviously, you said it. The guy can play anyone. The guy can play a toaster. The guy can play... His range is incredible. So I think he'll do a good job acting-wise. It's just visually, I can't see it right now. Speaking of Adam Driver, this year, he also has a movie coming out called Ferrari, where he's playing... It's, a, it's an Enzo Ferrari biopic. So he looks he like his transformation for that, like in terms of hair and makeup, bro, he looks crazy for that role. Um, but yeah, Adam Driver, dude, again, Adam Driver has proven himself with everything he's done, you know, since Star Wars, that he's a phenomenal actor. He's one of the best actors working in Hollywood today. And he is definitely someone who could lead a franchise and be one of the face faces of the MCU, because whoever comes to play Reed, you're instantly one of the faces of the MCU. And I could certainly see Adam Driver filling that role but again not one of my top choice not one of my top picks not one of my top choices in terms of John Krasinski man like I would have loved to have seen John Krasinski for more than just the two minutes that we got him for and you know looking back man it kind of sucks that like that was just a, a one that was just a one-time thing because like when I watched Multiverse of Madness for the first time when they killed off Reed I was like oh even though they killed him off like this is like we're still going to see him, right? Because we're still going to see him in the M616 in the main MCU, right? But no, it, it, you know, with the way Kevin Feige has talked about it, Sam Raimi has talked about it, John Krasinski has talked about that experience. It sounds like it was just a, a one-time thing. A Quiet Place 1 and 2 is the best, is, is, is in the discussion, in my opinion, as one of the best 1 and 2s ever. Best part 1s oh. and 2s ever. Like, bro, everything about those two movies was literally so amazing it's such a big achievement in cinema and and, and like when I, I remember seeing both of them uh in theaters and i was just like man what an amazing idea but also it was kind of painful because you can hear everyone chewing their little popcorn and their corn dogs and every you can hear everyone whispering because it was so quiet the whole way i think he's such a good actor and it's a shame that we're not going to get to see him again but at this point just give us the Fantastic Four. I, I ain't gonna be, I ain't gonna be bitchy about it. Just give us the freaking Fantastic Four, man. We need to see them. They need a movie that's done right, not Fant Four Stick, not the old ones, which I kind of have a soft spot for. We need a good Fantastic Four movie. However they want to do it, and whoever plays it, let's just get it now. They're coming. It's exciting, man. It's exciting. Like it, it's it's exciting to th to think that like in six months, you know. 
in six, I would say in, in the next six to eight months, we will definitely know who our Fantastic Four is. And it's, you know, when it comes to conversations like this, it takes me back to like 2015 when it was announced that Spider-Man was coming to the MCU and everyone was fan casting Spider-Man. And, you know, the anticipation was at an all time high of like, yo, who's going to play Spider-Man in the MCU? Spider-Man is finally back home with Marvel. It's a fever dream that we're finally going to get to see Spider-Man interact with Iron Man, Captain America, all of these other characters. Now we're feeling that all over again with the Fantastic Four, with the X-Men, with Deadpool. All of these characters are finally right back home where they belong. So uh, if Adam Driver ends up playing Reed Richards, again, it's something I definitely wouldn't be mad at. I would definitely co-sign it in a heartbeat, but not one of my top choice. Let us know what you guys think about Adam Driver potentially playing Reed Richards. Now, let's move on to our next topic, which, bro, I am super excited to talk about this. Um, Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney have both been cast in an original rom-com that is actually shoot, starting to shoot next month. This rom-com is directed by Will Gluck, who directed Easy A. And as of right now, Sony is keeping the plot details. They, they are keeping the plot details confidential. We just know that Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney are filming a rom-com together. And if you haven't seen the rom-com, set it up. It's on Netflix. It's with Glenn Powell, who, for those of you who don't know Glenn Powell, he just you know, broke out this year with Top Gun Maverick, with Devotion. Now um, he's doing this rom-com with Sidney Sweeney. Um, he did this rom-com called Set It Up with Zoe Dutch. And it was so good. It was one of the best rom-coms I've seen in years. They just don't make them like they used to. Look, February 10th at Midnight Paramount Plus. Trust, rom-coms are back. So, sorry. I, I Got to throw, plug throw that plug in. Got to plug I, it up. Got to plug I, it up. I, I, I had to plug it. I had to plug it. So, um, yeah, at midnight, February 10th, Paramount Plus. Now back to what we were talking about. Glenn Powell and Sydney Sweeney in an original rom-com. This is super exciting because Glenn Powell was so good and set it up with Zoe Dutch. And by the way, Netflix, we need no we need more Zoe Dutch, Glenn Powell rom-coms ASAP. Their chemistry and their dynamic was so flawless. It was so effortless. The last time I saw, you know, uh, uh, I guess two actors share that same level of chemistry and i i don't think they come close to these two level these two actors i'm about to mention but andrew garfield and emma stone had such a effortless chemistry when they were acting opposite of each other in the amazing spider-man movies it was just flawless it was just like it felt like it was all improv it was just them being themselves but they when were I really going out though that's the thing like they were they had an actual relationship matt they were, mm -hmm. they were really digging each other. And you kind of see it. Like, they did an interview recently, and they kind of still care for each other, like you could tell. So I think that's why it came off on screen so good. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, then you also have Glenn Powell and Zoe, and, like, dude, they're the same way. Like, they're just... They just have that, let's, it comes off as so natural on-screen chemistry. So definitely need more Glenn Powell, Zoe Dutch rom-coms. But yeah, now Glenn Powell is teaming up with Sydney Sweeney. Honestly, Sydney Sweeney has never given me rom-com vibes. Like I've never seen her in anything that makes me think, oh, you know, Sydney Sweeney needs to do a rom-com. No, but I I'm excited to see her, you know, step out of what she, she normally does. Um, I've only seen her in Euphoria. And Sydney Sweeney has, dude, she's been going to work. She has such an impressive slate coming up with different projects. This is Sydney Sweeney's upcoming slate. She has Madam Web. She has this movie called The Registration. She's starring and executive producing a Barbarella movie. 
And then she's doing this TV adaptation called The Player's Table, this movie called National Anthem. And then she's also shooting uh, Euphoria season three. So Sydney Sweeney is about, she's about to explode. If she hasn't already exploded in terms of like her stardom and her popularity, now she is about to explode as like a lead in multiple different projects. And now on top of that, doing a, a rom-com with Glenn Powell, like I'm super excited about this. Gio, are you a rom-com guy? How do you feel about this? Um, I love rom-coms and the only reason that this really piqued my interest is because you said the guy who made Easy A made it. And Easy A is so freaking good, bro. Easy A is the reason why, one of the reasons why Emma Stone is such a powerhouse and it opened up so many doors for her. And there's a reason why, Matt, because Easy A was freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like, just give us more rom-coms. Give us more rom-coms. We miss them. I miss those that 2000s area. I miss the 2000s era, the 2010s era, when those yeah. crazy rom coms were coming out. Like this is 40 and Knocked Up and Bro, there were so many. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, my God, that movie! I I literally watch that movie and I find something new in it every time. Mm -hmm. So just the fact to hear that we're getting so many rom coms, like this is the most I heard in a while. I think Hollywood's starting to figure out, like, yeah, I think it's time to start bringing them back. People are starting to miss them, and, and there's definitely an audience for them, obviously. Uh, those bro, bro rom-coms used to crush in the box office they used to make a lot a lot of money and uh, as far as how i feel about the movie i gotta see a trailer you know what i mean i gotta i don't i'm not too familiar with who glenn powell is and uh i never really watched euphoria with the uh, sydney sweeney the only thing i've seen is that famous tiktok she made that she blew up for um so i'm, I'm excited to just hear that rom-coms are coming back more than anything no i agree the more rom-coms the better you know now that we've made it out of the pandemic now, I guess it feels like studios are really warming up to like taking taking more chances on films like rom-coms because rom-coms aren't necessarily, you know, it feels like post-pandemic, like there's so many different studios that are like just interested in making like like high budget blockbusters that are going to make a lot of money. But there's still such a huge market for rom-coms. And yeah, I'm excited to see Glenn Powell doing more rom-coms. That's always a plus. And now you got Sydney Sweeney stepping outside of her comfort zone in her first rom-com. Sign me up. Now, moving on to our fifth main topic today. We're going to be talking about the new trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I have not been able to stop thinking about this trailer. We've been pumping out so much content over there on the YouTube channel, Soups. And on TikTok as well, and all, it's all over the place. This trailer was so huge. It gave away so much about the story of this movie, and there was just so much to break down. So, Gio, what are your initial thoughts on the new trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? And then we can kind of go into detail and talk about certain things that the trailer revealed. We needed this trailer. We need this movie. If the trailer is anything like the movie, or if the movie is anything like the trailer, oh, man. We are in for a treat. My Marvel excitement has resurrected from this one trailer. I'm seeing this trailer in my dreams. I'm seeing this trailer like in, in the shower. I'm seeing this trailer like it's burnt in my brain probably because I'm editing so many videos about it, but also because it's just so damn good. It's one of the best Marvel trailers that came out in a very long time. I, I, another thing I'm hoping for, Matt, is that they just don't go soft with it. It doesn't seem like they are from the trailer. I just hope they go, they really go for that tone that they set in the trailer and not go soft with it not go too Marvel-esque with it and bright and uh, make us think that he's going to die. But you know what I mean? It, 
I, I really hope that they just go for it in terms of drama and seriousness because we did get two lighthearted Ant-Man films. Now let's see the serious side. There's a lot of drama there. There's a lot of things to touch up on. Yeah, no, for sure. I agree. I agree. This this was the trailer that Marvel needed, and this was a trailer wait that ga- this was a trailer that gave away so much about this movie. But at the same time, I feel like by giving away a lot, you kind of like reinvigorated so many different fans. And you you Marvel made a statement with this trailer. The hype train has officially left the station. And you know when it comes to Ammon and the Wasp: Quantumania. The main reason we're all so excited for this movie is to see Jonathan Majors finally crush it as Kang the Conqueror. And I love how Marvel has realized that and has just given us Kang. You know, this trailer was all about Kang. Um, With the marketing, they just released an Empire cover with Kang the Conqueror front and center holding the Ant-Man family in, in the palm of his hands. And Marvel has not held back in terms of giving us Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror, it's increased my excitement tenfold. Marvel actually just released a new piece of merchandise where it's a it's kind of like just a, a piece of artwork where you see Kang standing next to his time chair. Ooh. You know, for, for those who don't know, Kang is notoriously known for having his time chair from the comics, and that's what he uses to traverse time throughout time. So I, I've been saying for the longest time that the time chair is going to play a huge part in this movie. And now this is our first look at the time chair. So I am so excited for this movie. In this new trailer, we also got our first look at MODOK. That Marvel didn't even build up to MODOK in this trailer. They just kind of just revealed him out of nowhere. And, you know, MODOK's getting memed on social media all over the place. But MODOK in this movie has two different designs. He has like his regular design where you see his skin face. And then he also has his armor design where he goes into battle. I think MODOK looks great, to be honest. And the fact that he's also being played by Corey Stoll, who is the villain uh, Yellow Jacket from the first Ant-Man movie. I think that already adds a pre-existing weight to his relationship with Scott and how he's going to play a role in this movie. Gio, what are your thoughts on MODOK? We get a character like MODOK, right? who basically is Mr. Electric, and then everyone's mad because he looks like Mr. Electric. What else do you want the guy to look like? How else is he going to look? You know what I mean? Like, how do you do a character that crazy from a comic and make it look different? There's no, in my opinion, there is no other way to do it. If if they're bringing in a character like MODOK, he obviously has a purpose, and I I need to actually see it because I'm not familiar with the comics. I don't know really much anything about him. I just know that they're not that far off. From the from the comic and kind of looks just like it. If anything, the comics look a little weirder. So um, I, I I don't know. I think I think he looks sick when he's got that mask on. When he's got that mask on and he's just a full armor and he's just this floating armor head. I'm uh, I'm excited to see where they go with it. And I think they did a killer move, Matt, by making him the previous villain from the first Ant Man movie. That was a good move. I don't think anybody really saw that coming. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, when, now when it comes to Morak in this movie, um. I definitely, I, I, one thing I definitely uh, thought could have been done better in this trailer is how they revealed MODOK. Just because of the simple fact that, like, now everyone is taking that one, you know, super blurry shot of MODOK, which is our first look at the character, and they're kind of just running with it. I feel like MODOK is going to look a lot better when we actually see the movie come February 17th. Um, but yeah, that was definitely something Marvel could have done better in this trailer. They could have actually given us, you know, a solid shot of MODOK if that's going to be our first look at the character. I don't think they want to, though. I think they know that it's just such a memeable character and it's a character that just looks weird that they were kind of just a bad sign. Then it's just such a, it's a hard character to make for me. I, I, this is the first time ever I'm kind of siding with Marvel CGI 
Because how the heck do you make this thing look good? Well, look, before we even got our first look at MODOK, I had tweeted out because they like, you know, the armored version of MODOK kind of got leaked through like a Funko Pop or something like that or a piece of artwork. And a ton of people were clowning it on social media. And I was like, you know, I, I had made a tweet saying like, you know, how, how MODOK is a giant floating head. There's no way you can bring MODOK to live action and do it in like, in a way where you can like take him serious or like in a way where he's like still menacing. I know it's been done in the Avengers video game. I know it's been done in cartoons. I know it's been done in comics, but live action is a whole different medium. And, and that's why there's plus, there's a plus side to animation. There's a plus side to gaming because there's certain things you can do in, in other forms of media that you can't do in live action. Now, when it comes to Modoc being in this movie and finally coming to the MCU in live action, I feel like this is the best way they could have done it. Also, the fact that Modok wears like an armor going into battle, I feel like that makes a ton of sense. He's a giant flesh floating head. So it only makes sense for him to wear armor going into battle to protect himself. Um, and I thought that was like that was a clever way to have like an additional design for the character without right. without, you know, I guess do, without like committing to to one look for the character. You know, they did it for the more serious parts, the dramatic parts, the action-filled part. Instead of just committing to that fleshy face wrapped around a, a shell, you know what I mean? And I also think that the, the trailer, if you think about the trailer, Matt, they knew what the fans wanted. There was not even, I don't even think there was one joke cracked in the trailer. I, I made a tweet and I said, man, King better be in this trailer for 45 seconds at least. And I think he was in the trailer for 45 seconds. Um, so they knew what the fans wanted with this trailer and knowing Marvel, a character like this, they're probably going to play for a lot of jokes. Let's be, let's be honest. It's a very funny looking thing. So they're probably going to play it off for jokes a lot. Um, and that's probably why they made that other armor for the more serious parts. And uh, look, one of my, another one of my bigger takeaways from this Quantumania trailer, and this is, why, this is what fuels my excitement for this movie. Not only is it that we're getting Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror and he's front and center on everything, like this is his movie. But I think Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania has a special factor to it that not, not many Marvel movies do. And it's the, you know, when I look at my favorite movies of all time, which is going to be something we talk about, you know, later on in the show. Some of my favorite movies of all time are, are move, films that take grand concepts, but ground them with a very human story. For example, Interstellar. Interstellar is this grand sci-fi space movie about... A, a man trying to find uh, the next earth in order to ensure the survival of the human race. But at the core of that film, all it is, it's truly about a dad trying to save his daughter and trying to reunite with his daughter. So you have like this grand concept all over the entire movie, but at its core, it's a very human story. When I look at a film like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, sure, you have this grand sci-fi quantum realm based movie that introduces marvel's next big bad the next face of the mcu but at its core this is a story about a father trying to get back the time that he lost with his daughter and i think that's so that's so intriguing that's so interesting that's so emotionally resonant and as long as that is kind of like the core of this film i think marvel has a shot to do something really special because you know they they Marvel I don't think Marvel plans to have Kang be the third the villain of the third Ant-Man movie 
but having Kang be the villain of the third Ant-Man movie makes so much sense if you look at Scott's if you look at Scott's journey throughout the MCU in the first Ant-Man movie you know he's coming out of jail and once he comes out of jail he's trying to just like make a life for himself so like that he can spend more time with his daughter then you know so many things happen where he gets caught up with the Avengers in Civil War Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp then Infinity War and Endgame happen and now it we're finally seeing Scott deal with all of this so much has happened and we're finally seeing Scott deal with the fallout of everything and not being able to be there for his daughter as she grew up and I'm sure you know Cassie not having Scott in her life hugely affected her we see different shots in this trailer of Cassie coming out of jail and and I'm sure you know that that is something I want to see Scott's reaction to that because he, the the first shot of the first Ant-Man movie was Scott coming out of jail. You remember in the um, Marvel show, there was like an Easter egg of Ant-Man having a podcast? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think in this movie, we're going to see Ant-Man lean more into his fame and more into himself to kind of get away from that. Like that's how he's dealing with the stress that 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 he went through and all the events that he went through by not dealing with it, just going to that fame side and going into the podcast and, and the trailer, we see him coming out of the red carpet. And then right after that, we see his daughter getting out of jail. We see him getting a call from his daughter. You know what I mean? We never see them really together besides when they go into the uh, quantum realm. Mm -hmm. that sounds, it sounds to me like they're going in a route where he, he doesn't want to face his problems. And the, towards the end of the movie, he does. You know what I mean? So I kind of I kind of get a glimpse of what they're going for in this trailer. They kind of, like you said earlier, they kind of showed a little bit too much, but I think it's what they needed to do. And uh, I, I just don't think that this movie is going to be anything less than like a 7 out of 10. Again, I, I really want Marvel to lean into the emotional uh, weight that the story carries. Because, dude, that's heavy, bro. As a dad, for Scott to come back and not having been there, you know, all this time, having lost all that time, with his daughter and then on the flip side again this is why it's just such, such a clever premise on the flip side of things you also have hank janet and hope that are trying to make up for the time they lost together so everyone in this story all of the main characters they all want more time and then you have someone like kang who can control time that like the chessboard is set up so perfectly so all i'm asking is marvel please 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 like you got something so special on your hands and I'm really hoping it's just executed properly because there is so much potential with this story. You know what, man? I, I think they got a, they got a grasp on that from this trailer. And I think it's going to be edited differently. And I think it's going to be a different type of Marvel thing, but that's something that, that Marvel does struggle with, man, is that they, they kind of just go too much into the lightheartedness. Am I, am I, you know, pretending like I'm a miserable guy and I don't like laughing and I don't like comedy. Absolutely not. I love comedy movies. And I love when they crack a joke. I, sometimes I really love the Marvel humor, even in fact. But bro, there's so many stories that really got affected and hurt the movie completely because it was too leaning on the comedy and scared to be serious. There's so many shows and movies that came out by Marvel that really hurt the show and really messed it up because they didn't just lean into that serious aspect. Like mm -hmm. there's so many stories that they can do. There's so many shows that they can make if they just stray away a little bit from the, the, the comic relief and the bright side, if they go a little darker, kind of like yeah. what DC is doing. Like just imagine a show 
about a person who lives in the Marvel Universe. We talked about this last week, about how miserable it would be to live in the Marvel Universe and how bad it would suck. Give us a show of someone just living in that universe. Just a, just a, a guy who lives there. You know what I mean? Or a girl who lives there and who has to deal with this stuff, who had to deal with the snap. Give us a story about a guy who, who was there for the five years and then his family came back and like he's got a new wife and or a woman married a new man. or You know what I mean? There's so many things that Marvel could do if they stray away from the comic relief. I felt that heavily with She-Hulk. I felt that heavily with uh, a, a little bit, not heavily, but a little bit in Hawkeye. I felt that a little bit in a lot of the recent shows where they're afraid to be serious. And I don't think that they should be that way. I think Ant-Man from the trailer is a step in the right direction. And if it is, if it's 50% of what I want it to be, Matt, it's going to be a fantastic movie. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I agree. I agree. Super, super excited for Ant-Man the Wolf Quantumania hitting theaters on February 17th. Today, we, we have a fi our final main topic that was sent in from someone over there on our Twitter. So shout out to whoever sent in and, and suggested that we talk about our favorite movies of all time. This has been something that a lot of you guys have always wanted me to talk about because when it comes to my favorite movie, when I'm, I'm always getting asked, what is my favorite movie of all time? And I can never answer it because I love so many different types of movies. And even come even with coming up with this list, like it was impossible for me because there are so many movies that, you know, that I think of that aren't on this list of films that I'm about to talk about, but I still love them so much. So as a cinephile, as someone who loves film, shows, gaming, all of it, these are these are some of my favorite movies of all time. As I continue to talk about them, guys, they're in no particular order. So if I talk about one movie right now, don't think that I think this movie is worse than the movie I'm going to talk about later on. So starting off on my top 10 favorite films of all time, in no particular order, we're going to start off with Man of Steel. Again, I also think this is important to say as well that these are my favorite films of all time, not the what I think are the best films of all time. And I think that's an important distinction because it is okay to love movies that you think they don't care. Are They're bad. still going to rip you about it. You know it. They're still going to clip it and take it away and say, oh, why is this movie in its top 10? That's such a <laughs> I am unapologetic about this list. I love every single movie on this list. I rewatch it. I rewatch all of these movies pretty damn consistently. Yeah, so these are my favorite films of all time. I don't care if they have flaws. I love them anyway. So starting off at number 10, in no particular order, we have Man of Steel. Love, love, love Man of Steel so much. Superman is my favorite character of all time. And I grew up as a baby watching the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. But to finally have, you know, my first in-theater experience watching a Superman film, and to have it, to have it have been Man of Steel, it was breathtaking, man. Like the way Zack Snyder shot this movie, from the cinematography to the flight scenes to Hans Zimmer's score, I love, love, love Man of Steel so much. Henry Cavill is such a great Superman, and I remember watch going to watch this movie with my mom, and I, I also remember seeing the teaser for Man of Steel uh, when I went to go watch The Dark Knight Rises in theaters, and. I just I was looking forward to this movie so much and I was so thrilled when when I watched it like finally getting to watch a Superman movie in theaters was amazing man so I I love Man of Steel so much I love Henry Cavill Superman and uh yeah that's one of my 
that's in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Next on the list, we have Avengers Endgame. The perfect ending, the perfect culmination to the Infinity Saga. This is, the, you know, at the time, this was the most anticipated movie of all time. No franchise, no studio had ever built up to a film like Avengers Endgame the way the MCU did. And for Marvel to stick the landing the way they did, for them to perfectly do justice to, to Tony's arc, to uh to to Captain America. I know there's you know there's a, a lot of controversy on the way Marvel decided to have those characters' stories end, but ultimately I thought Avengers Endgame was the perfect, it was the perfect ending to the Infinity Saga. You could not have gotten more epic. You you could not have it could not have been better than what it was, if I'm being honest. It was what amazing. What do you mean by controversy? People have a problem with the way Iron Man and Captain America went out? Um, yeah, I mean, on when I look on social media, you know, there's some people that have issue with the way Cap, um, you know, with the way Cap decided to, I guess, just return to the past instead of staying in the present. Because they felt like, you know, over the course of the MCU, he kind of learned to uh, accept that he, he wasn't going to be able to go back and live that life. So... You know, th there's there's room for debate. There's room for all of that stuff. But ultimately, I thought Avengers Endgame had, you know, going into the film, having it be one of the most anticipated films of all time, it had an impossible task to finally put an end to this saga with all of these different characters. When we look at a scene like Portals, every single character that's on that screen, tens of thousands of people worked to get one of those characters on the big screen. Let alone, now you have like freaking 60 plus characters all assembled in one of the most beautiful cinematic sequences ever with the music, with the way they're all coming together, Captain America calling Mjolnir in and finally saying Avengers Assemble after, you know, we after all of us asking for him to, to say that for so long. I thought I love Avengers Endgame so much. Do I think um, it's, do I think Avengers Endgame is better than Infinity War? No. I don't. I think Infinity War is probably the best MC movie if we really look at it. But Avengers Endgame is certainly it's one of my favorite MC movies. I love it so much and I will never forget going to watch this film time and time again. I watched this movie six times in three in the first three days it was available. I watched it once on the opening Thursday, twice on that opening Friday, um, and then three times that Saturday. And once Sunday morning. So I had watched it seven seven times opening weekend. And I don't regret it because man, those, those, that experience of, you know, experiencing movie like this in theaters was it, it's timeless. You you can never be able to get that back. So love, love, love Avengers Endgame. Now, the next movie on my list is Mama Mia. I have never watched the movie where the actors look like they're having so much fun. Gio, I know you're making that face. I love Mamma Mia. This is a movie that, re like, this is a movie that resonates. It, 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 it exuberates just pure joy and, like, euphoria for life. I, I love Mamma Mia so much. The music is fantastic. Uh, you have a stacked cast with, you know, Amanda Seyfried, uh, Meryl Streep, Pierce Brosnan, um, Bill Skarsgård. Like, you have such a stacked cast. And they all looked like they had so much fun filming this movie. And when actors look like they're having fun, when actors look like they're enjoying themselves doing what they do, it gives me a deeper appreciation for the movie. 
For example, that's why I love Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man so, so much. Because I can tell when Andrew's playing Spider-Man, he loves what he's doing. He loves that character with every fiber of his being. So to me, it adds to that experience when actors are having fun doing what they do. And Mamma Mia is the perfect... It's it's the it's the it's the movie that ex exemplifies that. These are all actors that were just having such a great time filming this movie in Greece and doing their thing. Still continuing on the musicals. Uh, at number seven, we have La La Land. This is a masterclass in filmmaking. La La Land felt when I watched this movie, it felt timeless. It felt like this is an instant classic. This is a movie that's going to be remembered for you know you know forever. La La Land with Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone, directed by Damien Chazelle, music by Justin Horowitz, Horowitz, Her Justin Horowitz. Uh, I, I always pronounce his name wrong, but La La Land is another film where it, it's just masterfully crafted. It, when you think of like perfect movies, I think La La Land is, that is in that conversation. I love this movie, man. From the, the musical sequences to the actual music itself, to the way the story is written, to the ending the ending is is so masterful. This movie made me want to like learn how to play piano. Like the and and uh, again from like a technical standpoint, like seeing the behind the scenes videos of like how they filmed certain uh, musical sequences. Um, there's so many one shots in this movie, like the the sequence where it's uh, it's uh, Ryan Gosling, it's Seb and Mia, and they're at the top of like the hill and they're doing the a lovely uh, a, a lovely night. That's an entire one-shot sequence. And you don't really think about that when you watch the movie at first. But when you go back and you rewatch it, like as, as someone who appreciates the technicalities of filmmaking, it's like, dude, there was no cuts in this. This is a 10-minute scene and there's no cuts in this. It's just like pure go, go, go. If they mess up, they have to reshoot the whole scene. So that that it's stuff like that that gives me a deeper appreciation for the movie. And it's just, it's a it's a masterpiece. It really is. A lot of a lot of movies was doing uh, no cuts at that time. Mm -hmm. It was like a trend from 2014 to like 2017. And uh, a lot of people rip one cuts, bro. A lot of people don't like them. And I don't understand why. Like cinemaphiles, they really don't appreciate it anymore. I see so many tweets and I see so many people talking about, hey, let's stop the one shots. They're so cheesy. And it just blows my freaking mind, man. You think about a movie like Birdman. Movie never cuts. And, and it's, that, that's not why it won an Oscar. It just helped tell the story. You know what I mean? Like another movie, 1917. It just hits so much harder when, when people are finding ways to keep a story going instead of just like cutting it to a different scene. It kind of just feels like you're there with them. And a lot of people hate uh, one, oneers, they call them, when they don't cut the, the scene. But I, I'm, I'm a big fan of oneers. I think they're phenomenal. Oh, yeah. One shots, dude. Yeah, I love one shots so much. Um, Daredevil. Daredevil has so many one shot sequences that were absolutely badass. When I see a one shot in a movie, like it gives, again, it gives me a deeper appreciation for the scene because it, one shots are hard, dude. If you mess up, you got to film the whole scene over again. And the, the way the camera's moving, like, I don't know. Personally, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of one shots. So I hope to see those in more movies. Now, the next film on my list is a film called John Q. This movie stars Denzel Washington, and it's a film about a father where his son, his son basically has heart failure, and his son needs a new heart. So his dad can't pay for, for his son to get a heart transplant. So 
what his dad does, and his dad is played by Denzel Washington, his dad takes an entire hospital hostage. And he takes, you know, it's like a couple of different patients that he takes hostage. And he basically forces the police and the government, he takes these people hostage and he forces, he forces like the police and the government to basically give his son a new heart. You know, it's, he, 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 he consistently says throughout the movie, he's like, you know, I'm not going to bury my son. I'm not going to bury my son. And it's just a very compelling premise because you have this guy who's taking these people hostage, but in a way you're, you're kind of rooting for him because you want his son to continue to live. You don't want his son to die. And Denzel just gives such an such a freaking phenomenal performance, man. I love Denzel Washington. This is my f- favorite movie of his. And, you know, there's Remember the Titans, which I love Remember the Titans. But John Q, for me, I have a soft spot for, like, parental movies. And that's why you're going to see more parental movies on this list. But John Q is definitely a film that leans into that father-son relationship. And it te- it, 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 this, it portrays how far a father is willing to go in order to save his son. So... Love, love, love John Q. The next film on on my list continues on that father-son trend. It's The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith and James. Oh, my God. Bro, it's crazy that you said that because I was about to ask you one question before you went to the movie. Will Smith or Denzel Washington? Got to pick one right now. Go. Oof. Nah, I'm going with Denzel, man. I love Will Smith, though. I'm going with Denzel, though. But... I mean, I lo- again, both of these movies are on my list. I obviously love both of them. These are two of my favorite movies of all time. The, pers- the Pursuit of Happiness is, you know, it's, it's a really intense uh, drama about a father trying to, I guess, make ends meet where- while he's also parenting, you know, his son. And uh, he's undergoing, he- he's doing this internship for this uh, broker- brokerage firm where he can make a lot of money. Um, and while he's going through this internship, he's just having really, really hard times with his son. And they're going from place to place. They're really just suffering the struggles of poverty. So Will Smith gives, again, a performance I thought he should have won Best Actor for. I love, love Will Smith in this movie. And the fact that his son is played by Jaden Smith, it adds to the film for me. It adds to the film for me because that's his actual son. And Jaden Smith, as a child, he was fantastic in this movie as well. He He was just very charming. He just added to the emotional weight of the film and it added to what you felt for Will Smith's character and what he was going through as a father. So The Pursuit of Happiness is on my list of my favorite films of all time. Now getting into my final four movies, we have Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, man. This was a film that going into this movie, when I watched this movie, it had 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was like, Dude, there is no way. This movie's ranked higher than Infinity War. There is no way this movie is better than Infinity War. Then I watched the film and I walked out wanting to fight crime. It was one of the greatest experiences ever. And this was at a point in time where a lot of people didn't really have trust in Sony because, you know, everything went down with the Amazing Spider-Man franchise. Sony had kind of sent Spider-Man to Marvel and Spider-Man was doing his thing in the MCU. Um... Sony also had Venom come out that same year in 2018 and Venom, you know, Venom, even though Venom made a lot of money, Venom isn't, you know, a great movie. Venom is a fun movie. Venom isn't a great movie. So a lot of people had, you know, they didn't really have trust in Sony, but then Sony came out of nowhere with this. And it's one of the greatest superhero films, if not the greatest superhero film of all time. So Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, this was a movie that put my really just shot up Miles Morales it shot up his popularity in terms of like just popularity wise, like Miles exactly. Morales is now a household name. Yeah. hundred percent. 
bro, like this movie was incredible. It was groundbreaking. The movie was so successful that I feel like, I don't know, I could be wrong about this, but it gave him his game. You know what I mean? Like his own game and his, his role in the Spider-Man PS4 thing. Because people were just like, man, this freaking character is awesome. Miles Morales has such a cool uh, dynamic and a crazy story. A lot of the people who've seen Into the Spider-Verse, I mean, I'll speak just for me. A lot of people who've seen that movie didn't really want to see that movie. We were just so excited for Far From Home and we love Spider-Man that we kind of just fell upon it or we heard good things about it or we just didn't have anything else to see. It always comes back to the movies that don't have hype, man, because when those movies hit and they're good, they'll stay in your brain forever because that freaking movie, it's, it's one of the best Spider-Man movies of all time, if not the best. So phenomenal. Yeah. I, I really love that movie, man. Yeah, like no one went into that movie thinking, oh, this is going to be the greatest superhero film of all time. But it, it, it was, man. It was, it was phenomenal. Not only from the groundbreaking animation, like this movie redefined what it means to be a comic book film because it was yeah. an actual comic book brought to life. On top of the fact that, you know, it dealt with so many different characters. You yeah. know, people, people look back to a film like, you know, the BVS or the 2017 uh, Justice League. And, you know, people look at a film like that 2017 Justice League movie and they're like, bro, you can't you can't start a cinematic universe with with so many different characters um, with the right script and the right people on board to bring it to life. You can. And that's what this movie proved. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse juggled so many different heroes, so many different villains. But at its core, it's still a Miles Morales story. And one thing I loved about this movie is that they didn't tear down the character of Peter Parker in order to uplift Miles. Exactly. They used the character of Miles Morales, uplifted the hell out of him, and he was the beacon that in turn uplifted Peter Parker and everyone else in this movie. Right. So that was something that that really, really just, it, it really uh, just stuck with me through this film. The fact that they didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to uh, destroy any character in order to propel another. Because, that, you know, a lot of, a lot of times I mean, in different forms of media, we see that, you know, they, uh, where, well, they'll destroy a certain character in order to propel another, but this movie didn't do that. This movie just elevated all of its characters and villains. Immediately after you say that, you think about No Way Home. And No Way Home came out how long? Like three years after? Mm -hmm. So I have no doubt in my mind that not only in that aspect, but in many aspects, the writing of this movie was so good it inspired No Way Home and it influenced a lot in No Way Home, especially Spider-Man PS4, without a doubt. Well, speaking of No Way Home, the next movie on my list of favorite films of all time in no particular order is Spider-Man No Way Home. I, y'all, I mean, y'all, I don't, I don't have to say this. Y'all know how, y'all know how much I love this movie, bro. Nah, this, you hate this movie. You freaking hate it. This movie has its problems for sure. I don't care. This movie, like Avengers Endgame, it had such a huge weight on its shoulders. So much pressure was on this film's success. And it delivered. It brought back so many different characters from our childhood. And it handled them with such respect from Andrew to Toby to Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin to Alfred Molina's Doc Ock to Lizard to Sandman to Jamie Foxx's Electro. Every single character that um, is in this movie is, is given so much respect. And I thought this was just such a massive film in terms of Tom Holland's MCU uh, journey because I, I'm not the biggest... I, I don't like Spider-Man Far From Home. I liked Spider-Man Homecoming, but I thought Spider-Man Far From Home did a lot of... 
it, it undid a lot of character development that was done in Civil War and Homecoming. So I thought in terms of like the Tom Holland's MC run, I, it felt it felt like the MC, the Russo brothers were writing a completely different Spider-Man than John Watts. But then we got to Spider-Man No Way Home and it finally felt that this movie, I mean, Tom Holland, this, in Tom, using Tom Holland's words, this was the movie where Tom where Spider-Man went from Iron Boy Jr. to Spider-Man. And by the end of the film, he is the Spider-Man we all know and love. And, and I, I love that in a movie where, where it had so many different elements, you know, you also had Toby, Andrew, all that stuff. It was still a Tom Holland Spider-Man story. And that was the most important thing for me going into the film. As, as excited as I was to see Toby, to see Andrew, ultimately, I was most excited to see Tom Holland finally become Spider-Man. To finally l learn what it means when uh, someone says, with great power comes great responsibility. For Tom Holland Spider-Man to finally learn what it means to carry the name Spider-Man. And that's what this movie is all about. It's about Tom Holland Spider-Man learning that with great power, there must also come great responsibility. And to, to also have Toby and Andrew showing him the ropes and doing things that would have completely impacted Tom Spider-Man if Toby and Andrew weren't there. Like Andrew saving MJ, Toby stopping Tom from killing. Those were massive moments. And, and the fact that they contributed to that so like that now moving forward like i've always said this even before even before no way home came out i've always said that tom holland is going to be the greatest spider-man when it's all said and done when the day finally comes where he retires tom holland is going to be the undisputed best spider-man and that that's what this film set up it was kind of like a passing of the torch in a way with toby and andrew being those older brother figures and absolutely. helping him become the greatest yeah absolutely man every time you watch it you want to watch all of the old ones again. You want to yep. watch the Sam Raimi trilogy. You want to watch Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. Every time you watch No Way Home, you just get in the Spider-Man kick and you watch every Spider-Man movie. You watch Into the Spider-Verse. You watch them all. You even start getting into the cartoons. No Way Home uh, is one of the only movies. Check this out, man. I don't think I ever told you this. No Way Home is the only movie I cried on twice in the theater. I cried on that movie two times. Yep. It was, it was when, uh, it was obviously when Aunt May died. And then, and the second time I cried, which is kind of three, but it's, I'm just going to call it the second, is when uh, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire came on the screen. Bro, yeah. I just start crying. I don't know why. I just couldn't stop crying. Yeah. I, 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 all of my friends were making fun of me. They were like, this guy's a loser. I couldn't stop crying. I don't know why. I just... Because the way they brought him in and what they did with him was just like, oh, my God. Like, we would have been cool just seeing him swing around or coming in at the end. Like, we would have been cool with that. They didn't have to go that hard on us, bro, with the writing and, and, and making it. Bro, I can talk about that movie for days. So just go ahead and move on to the next one because I can ruin your night. Nah, for sure, man. Like, dude, it felt like a fever dream, you know, for a year, for a year, for quite literally years we were talking about the potential of Toby and Andrew showing up. And then we finally saw this movie. It was everything we ever wanted to see and more. Did you have see, dreams about the movie? Because I did before it came oh, out. I did. I did. Bro, I, I was having dreams about it. Like, I couldn't sleep. Like I had dreams. I had dreams. I was in the theater watching it. And even my dream version of the movie were still fire. You know what I mean? Like it's just one of those movies that I don't know, like, after Endgame, I never thought I would have that again. And then No Way Home comes around, man. And it literally makes me cry 
two, three times, bro. You know, you look at a, you look at, you know, I, I think of like the, something like the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Like how many people were outraged with, with films like the, the Last Jedi, with the Rise of Skywalker, where you, with The Force Awakens, where you brought back these characters that people grew up with. And now the entire fan base is divided because in a, in, you know, different ways, some people feel that they disrespected certain characters on the big screen with no way home. It, whether you love this movie or hated this movie, we, we can all agree that they respected the characters that we grew up with the, from the, the Raimi trilogy to the Andrew, uh, to the Andrew Tasm movies to the MCU films as well. Like aunt may was finally given something to do. In this movie, something of value, something of purpose. She served a very important role. The, um, so Aunt, you had Aunt May, Doctor Strange as well. You also had Charlie Cox's Daredevil in, in there for a little cameo, and that was that was awesome to see too. So for this film from beginning to end, I, I thought it was everything we wanted and more. It's a true love letter to Spider-Man fans, and at its core, it's a film that doesn't hold back in its consequences. We talk about. Um, you know, we kind of just talked about Ant-Man and that movie, you know, we, we, that we hope that movie doesn't hold back. No Way Home yeah. didn't hold back. You know, we no. watched, we watched No Way Home. And even though this was a movie that where Tom had the help of Toby and Andrew, Tom suffered more than any Spider-Man had ever suffered before. Absolutely. He, he lost Aunt May. He lost Tony Stark. And then he lost, literally no one knows who he is. He's just on his own. He's, he's on his own now. So yeah, I, 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 No Way Home, definitely one of my favorite movies of all time, and it, it'll forever be on that list. The final two movies on this list of my favorite films of all time in no particular order. First, we got Interstellar. Interstellar, directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Matthew McConaughey. Interstellar. And then we also have Everything Everywhere All at Once. Everything Everywhere All at Once, again, came out in 2022, and... This is a movie I rewatch religiously. It it is the movie I am standing going into award season. I hope it wins all of the awards. Michelle Yeoh and uh, Kihui Kwan just won their Golden Globes. Their Oscars are on the way as well. So Interstellar and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, uh, these I think these two films are very similar, and here's why. Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, some of the best movies are the films that take grand concepts but ground them with very human stories. Interstellar is this crazy sci-fi movie about a guy trying to ensure the survival of the human race, but at its core, it's about a father trying to save his daughter. Everything, everywhere, all at once is this crazy, out of out of the out of body experience about the multiverse. But at its core, it's about a a a, a woman trying. It's about a woman trying to put the pieces of her family back together, trying to repair the relationships with her husband, with her daughter, with her father. It's a family drama that is set in the middle of this crazy multiverse story. So that's what I think these two films do so well is they take these grand concepts, but they ground them with very human stories. Um, I, I personally judge films based off of the way they make me feel. And these two films had me sobbing, man. They, they really just... They were ingrained in my nervous system, man. And and I, I think they're both extreme masterpieces. Another piece of, I guess, fun facts for everything, everywhere, all at once. This was a film that was done on a $25 million budget. Seven people did the VFX for the entire movie. And it was filmed in 30 days at an abandoned um, Countrywide Home Loans um, office center. So... 
the fact that the Daniels and the the rest of the crew pulled this masterpiece off in the time frame that they did it with the resources that they had with only 25 million with only a 25 million dollar budget it's a testament of what can be done with film so interstellar everything everywhere all at once just to recap the entire list these are my top 10 favorite films of all time in no particular order we have man of steel avengers endgame mama mia la la land the pursuit of happiness john q spider-man into the spider-verse spider-man no way home interstellar and everything everywhere all at once no martin scorsese no david fincher dude i was gonna put i was gonna put the wolf of wall street because i'm a big fan of the wolf of wall street like who is it man that is just such a wild movie. Leo is fantastic. Jonah Hill is fantastic. Yeah, I, I could only put 10. And that's that's why when every single time it comes to this conversation, it's so hard. It's so to hard. Have the con- it's when it's hard to have movies. the conversation. Right. When you love movies, that 10 is always changing. That, that 10 is always getting swapped out. Because you, you know what I'm saying? It's about movies you're watching recently. Uh, what comes out recently. And then like you rewatch it again. You don't like it as much. Or you like it more. Like when you're into movies, there really isn't a top 10 because your favorite top, your top 10 favorite, it's always constantly changing. A little, a little quick thing before uh, we move on to the next thing. Uh, just going back to No Way Home one more time. Don't get offended by this. A movie like that not only spawned many cre- careers, but it really helped yours out as well. Like when No Way Home came out, every, I felt like everybody at that time was just going on the internet to find out everything they possibly can to see if Andrew and Toby was going to be in it and you know all the easter eggs and are they and all the villains coming back that movie was so impactful and it was so amazing that it, it literally blossomed careers for some of my favorite creators including you so it's just something I had to I had to say and I, I don't know if you agree with that or not but it was a very impactful movie not just cinema wise but it, it changed people's lives it gave people's like careers and, and, and amazing things. Not like you didn't have one before, but it just raised it. And it, it introduced so many people to me, like lifelong friends from one movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. It's crazy what kind of impact that one movie had. But th- dude, that's the beautiful thing. And I agree with you completely. Like I, I owe so much to No Way Home. Like that, that movie, you know, not only was it like a fever dream for me to even talk about, cause it was like, it felt like a dream come to life. Before we had even, before we had even seen the movie, like just the idea that Toby and Andrew could reunite with Tom on the big screen with all of these different villains coming back, it felt like a dream to talk about the movie. And the fact that it brought so many of us together is such a beautiful thing. And I think that's the true beauty of film is when we, you know, when these films unite us and bring us together, where we can express our passion with each other and elevate each other. Um, that that's the true beauty of film, and I think that's a beautiful way to end this podcast. So. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in again. Every Saturday, a new episode of the Let's Go Show is coming to iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Let us know what are your top 10 favorite films of all time in no particular order all over social media. We love you guys 3000, and we will see you guys next time. Let's go!